and welcome to episode 48 of My Dog Will Eat My Face. In this podcast, I wish to briefly address again the concept of loss. And I swear I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here. I know I've talked about it rather ad nauseum throughout various podcasts. And part of that is because my views on it have changed dramatically from the very beginning of my podcasting uh, season to what I believe today. And also, primarily this week, because, well, my old ways kind of reared their ugly head again, and I'll have to explain that. Essentially, uh, what happened within this last week, I fell into a pretty deep depression once again, and this time it was, uh, again, with respect to feeling loss, the loss of all my favorite things I used to love to do, that is, to go out to eat, to travel, to work to do things that I truly love. And that had really beaten me down so bad to where, once again, I was reluctant to even leave the bed. Well, lo and behold, I was liberated once more uh, triumphantly by my social worker and therapist (laughs) who came marching from a yonder and fought back and reminded me of some of these principles of loss that I've come to accept and try to absorb, but uh, needless to say, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. So that's why I wish to discuss this today. And so briefly, let me first touch on, once again, the feeling of loss that I was experiencing and what led me to this sort of mini breakdown and self-analysis that I wish to exercise here today. First off, let me extrapolate briefly as to what I was feeling this last week. As stated already, I was lamenting the loss of my favorite things. That is, those things that I used to do prior to becoming so gravely ill. I used to love going out to eat, to travel, to work, to see my friends, To do all those things that really gave me a lot of joy in life. And if I were to juxtaposition what I used to do to what I do now, you would see such a 
dire and, and really pathetic <laughs> uh, vision to where now I can't even leave the apartment. I'm hooked up to approximately 16 to 18 liters of oxygen on a continuous flow. With that kind of oxygen flow, I don't have many options to go anywhere. The portable tanks they make only go up to 15 liters. And so if I were to even use a tank, I would be on a limited input of oxygen that I would feel immediately. And beyond that, that's actually the max flow of those tanks. So a full tank for me, basically blasting out oxygen at full strength, would last about 23 minutes. I've timed it. So that's how much time I would have to leave the apartment. 23 minutes. And, and don't get me wrong, I have used that. <laughs> I've taken those 23 minutes, uh, certainly. I've, I've run across the street just to get uh, some ramen or taken the pooch out for a little walk. You know, you can get a lot done in 23 minutes if you live in the city, so that's kind of nice. And uh, I definitely use it. <laughs> so I don't take it for granted. I don't just wide and moan, oh, woe is me, I only have 23 minutes, then never use it, I whine and moan, oh, woe is me, I only have 23 minutes, and use it. <laughs> so I don't know if that makes it any better or not. Maybe, maybe a tad, maybe a little bit, at least I, at least I, uh, I may lament my loss, but I also uh, take use of what I do have and try to use it as best as I can. So, pretty much everything that occurs outside the confines of my apartment and 23 minutes on the street, <laughs> uh, including time getting back to the apartment. You have to remember, that's the total. That, that's, that's from plugged into unplugged. I mean that that's the whole that's the whole time slot. So uh so basically anything that takes up more time than that I've been at a complete loss and no longer can enjoy. And I know I've talked about it uh, rather extensively in my past and uh, there's no real reason to dive into it further but lo and behold of course I was feeling depressed last week I was very depressed I was uh, stuck in bed depressed and couldn't bring myself to do anything I couldn't bring myself to use my 23 minutes <laughs> outside uh, I was rather rather uh, grief-stricken with 
all the lost that had forsaken me and that I felt like a prisoner and stir crazy as one might well understand in this little apartment and needless to say it it had gotten me down and that's where I was last week and how my emotions were played out within my mind was a sense of loss. I felt an, an intense feeling of loss for all those things that I did have for going out to eat, for traveling, for enjoying dinner with friends, for uh, going to the bars with friends, simple things. Uh, you know, for that matter, just going out drinking. <laughs> Um, countless other things that I took possibly for granted when I could just leave these confines of my home. And so that's where I was. I was stuck in bed, even more confined than just the apartment. Now I was self-imprisoned to the four sides of my bed. Uh, much to the dismay of my dog, who frequently kept nudging me, trying to get me out of bed to play, but I was, I was not the good roommate. I was pretty much dead to the world. Until, again, I fortunately had my therapy session with my social worker slash therapist, which reminded me of some new perspectives on what loss is and directed me towards a new way of thinking that was far more clear and far more tolerable than the self-pity that I had become accustomed to emulating so easily. So, let me now discuss that therapy session that moved to liberate my mind from the prison that I set upon myself. So what exactly did this therapy session remind me of? Well, to put it simply, Loss is an illusion. Loss does not even really exist. Now, if you were to say that to the common man on the strength, and if you were to ask them, is this true? I think probably 10 out of 10 would look at you funny and tell you that, yes, 
Moss is a real thing. You are nuts. <laughs> but in my search for peace and my thinking and rationalism and my experimentism with stoicism I've actually come to that full conclusion that loss is just an illusion and does not really exist and the therapy session that I sat through merely reminded me of this concept that had escaped me and it wasn't new it wasn't a new concept mind you this was not a big eureka moment by any means it was a gentle reminder that I had easily swayed from what I had already taught myself through rational thought and through my own studies through stoicism to be specific which, mind you, were only through happenstance. It's not like I walked down the street with a great big crush for stoicism. It is purely a coincidence that the thoughts that I had formulated on my own were also some of the maxims that were found within stoicism. So I could turn to stoicism to reflect in better words what I had crafted in my own mind prior to even touching on the subject. So, I have to make sure I qualify that research with that <laughs> explanation. So, no one thinks me as some sort of uh, pundit or What's the word? Um, fanatic. Because that is not my drive here. It was purely coincidence and purely to echo and to solidify what I had already concluded on my own. So, what on earth am I talking about when I say stoicism is an illusion? If one were to go back, say, to Seneca, who was a famous stoic, and who wrote quite a bit on loss, he said that Things were never owned by you in the first place. Take, for example, a friendship. Have you ever said to yourself, or to anyone for that matter, that you own a friendship? That sounds preposterous. 
you don't own an individual. I think our societies have thrown off the yoke of slavery, at least in the Western world, as much as we possibly could, and called it the evil that it is. So you would never dare say you own a friend. You would never put something so crude and evil upon your friendship. So no, you don't own a friend. So if they were to pass, do you lose them? Why is it then say, why is it then normal for us to say I've lost a friend? I've lost a mother or a father. You never owned them to begin with. <laughs> what are you thinking? You never lost anything, is what Seneca said in some of his letters to people that were mourning loss. You never owned these individuals. Your loss is all in your head. You never said once that you owned them. Nor would you say it now, even in their absence. So why say that you've lost them? And that is only one of Seneca's points. Probably the most simple one. I think anyone can grasp their head around the fact that a human being does not own another human being. And you don't even own good fortune. You don't own your job. You don't own these things. So it's rather asinine for us humans to then suddenly claim ownership once that thing is no longer in our grasp or a part of our life. Suddenly, when it is no longer a part of our life, we claim ownership and lament its loss. That makes no sense. That simply makes no sense. Let me repeat that. We, as a species, do not claim ownership of a thing until it is no longer within our grasp only to lament its loss. That's a true statement. And when you look at it that way, you see just how incredibly silly it is for us to view loss as such a traumatic and terrible thing when it, in this context, appears as though we are inventing it entirely to what, I don't know, manufacture anger, manufacture sadness. That's a topic for perhaps later. But Seneca and other Stoics would take this even further to a far more complex thought that I addressed also with my therapist. And it is the more complex thought that, frankly, leads me most to believe that loss is not real, even more so than the simplicity of the first.
And I will share that thought, that complex thought with you in this forthcoming segment. dive into the more complex thought with respect to why I think loss is an illusion. One must look at one's own past to begin with. Look at the things in life that still bring joy. I think all humans have something that still brings joy. Even Al Bundy had his high school football days that still brought him joy. And if poor Al could find happiness in somewhere in his, somewhere in his history, then I think just about anybody could. For me, certainly, going back to the very beginning of this podcast, I lamented losing very specific things. So, it stands to reason perfectly that my memories of those things do, of course, bring me happiness of varying degrees and sorts of happiness, of course. I might remember one thing more fondly than the other. and might remember one thing as a sort of, oh, well, we can laugh now sort of thing versus how I felt at the time of the event itself. I think we all have a lot of those moments. So take any one of them, big or small. It just has to no longer be a part of your life. Now ask yourself this simple question. Do you gain Yet, from this thing, from this memory, from this incident, whatever it might be that brings you joy, do you still yet gain from it even though it has come to pass? For example, I can look back fondly at a, a, a memory with, of a, uh, a meal with a friend. And I can sit back and look and say, my gosh, yes, that was truly a delicious meal. And ask myself now, does that meal give me joy? 
not in the literal sense, but does the memory of it give me happiness and joy? The answer is a paramount yes. Of course, why else would it not <laughs> why else would it be a, a fond memory? So of course this fond memory gives me joy to this very day. It doesn't matter how old it is. It doesn't matter what came right before or right after, how its passing came to be. It even doesn't matter if I still have it, this thing, whatever it is. Perhaps my memories of a relationship. It could be of a relationship that's long gone. It could be a one that I currently have. Say a friendship. I have friends that I've been friends with for decades. I have many fond memories of those friends. They give me joy going back 20 odd years. I have other folks in, in my history who I am no longer a friend with, say. But I'm not going to be a fool. I'm not going to be spiteful and say that I don't have fond memories of them when we were friends. Because that's just a lie. And I'm not going to do that. When we were friends, I absolutely had. Still have good memories. I can still look back at things that happened with exes and laugh about it. Exes. I can laugh out loud and share funny stories about occurrences that happened many years ago. So what I am saying is I am actually still still, excuse me, still <laughs> yielding I want to say still yielding, and it came out steel. <laughs> anyway, I, w I am still, still, wow, now it's stuck in my head, still yielding. <laughs> I am still yielding benefits from that thing that has come to pass, from that friendship, from that relationship, from even that object, from that thing, from that event, that memory, that trip. I am still taking direct benefit from it to this day. By virtue of me looking back and saying, ah, that was fun. And me looking back at, say, my trip to Hungary as a good time. Even though that transpired in my teenage years, this same event so many years later still yields direct benefit to my life. Because I can still think of it fondly, I, can, I still have fond memories of it, I can still tell funny stories, I can still feel good about what happened. Ah, and there too, 
what happened. These are things that occurred in the past. They are therefore immovable not by heaven or by hell itself. The truest form of true is the past. The thing that will direct us direct us the most is the past. And it is my memories and my thoughts of past people, places, things, events that give me joy, happiness, pleasure on a daily basis. I, I am certain I do not go a day without thinking of of some sort of event or person or, or anything that has long since been a part of my life, yet it still influences me to this day. Now think about that for a moment. This is an event that happened perhaps decades and decades ago. Think about it in your case. Think of a good event, a good friend, a childhood friend perhaps. It is something, a childhood friend perhaps, that still influences you day after day today as a good memory, as a fun memory. It contributes positively to your life profoundly to this day. That means that even though this thing is no longer contributing to your life on a daily basis, perhaps it's no longer part of this earth, perhaps this friendship didn't die, but the friend did die. Perhaps you, like me, can no longer travel for other reasons. But you still have fond memory of it. That means that these things, no matter how minute and no matter how distant, have a direct influence on you. even though they are no longer a daily part of your life, they are still part of your life. What does that mean? You never lost it. It just stopped contributing more To your life at such a point. But you've never lost anything. All those good things, all those memories, they are set in stone 
They are immovable by the past itself. They can't be erased. And they still give you joy and influence. There is no reason to lament their loss. You should celebrate their existence daily. You get something from them directly every day. You never lost a damn thing. And to me, that is just amazing. I can look back on the most simple of events, say a stupid little hookup that I did in my 20s. I can look back and laugh about it and have fond memories of it and Maybe the police intervened and I can look back and laugh at it now. It's like, oh my gosh, we almost got caught in that alleyway. <laughs> that event, perhaps in my teenage years, is still contributing positively to my life. It's still giving to me daily. I can't say I've lost it. It's still there. And it's not only still there, it is completely immovable because it is the past. It is for those reasons why I think and why a lot of the Stoics think, incidentally, (laughs) that loss is an illusion. It doesn't exist. Loss does not exist. So this leads me to question as to why do we as a species drive to lament loss? Why is it seemingly innate to invent ownership of a thing or even of a person merely to lament its subsequent loss. Why is it when something is no longer directly part of our day-to-day life, for whatever reason, it is thrown off of our daily course, we seem to think that It suddenly has lost all its value despite its contribution over who knows how long, years, decades, maybe. That's something I don't quite understand. And why 
did I follow suit and do precisely this? When I pushed myself into a bedridden depression, as I retold myself over and over that I will never have those things that I loved once again. That might be true. I may indeed never have those things once again. But I certainly did have them. And it doesn't mean that just because I don't have them now, they're no longer of any value to me. It'd be preposterous for me to say those memories suddenly now are worthless. That those events were worthless. It'd be like saying, oh, my life heretofore is therefore worthless because I can't continue to live it as I once did. That would be literally what I'm saying. My life is now worthless. And the things I once did are worthless. My life heretofore has been rendered worthless merely because I cannot continue to live in the exact manner in which I'd had lived prior to today. It's preposterous. But I think that's almost innate in a lot of people. They don't think of it that way. They don't think of it bluntly like that. But when experiencing loss, that is sort of how people drive themselves and I'm not sure where exactly that comes from I don't know where it comes from with me my only guess and (laughs) it is just a guess I'm I'm not a sociologist I'm not a doctor I, I don't know for sure but my only guess is that It's cultural. That we now live in a Judeo-Roman, excuse me, Judeo-Christian culture. Whereas the Stoic philosophy, which see things very differently in ways which I've already shared, was part of the Roman culture. (laughs) It seemed to me they are far more level-headed about life and loss and worth than the Christians. But the Judeo-Christian faith had to be based on Misery. It is a religion based on misery and sin and 
crushing worthlessness. Why else would you need salvation? Why else would you need mercy? Why else would you need heaven? Why else would you need forgiveness? If all those negative things didn't exist, if that negative interpretation of life didn't exist, then there would be no need for the ladder, the ladder, excuse me. For some reason, I suddenly can't talk. <laughs> for no reason, for some reason, there would be no need for the ladder. That is the forgiveness, the salvation, the mercy, the grace. All those things are moot if you're not suffering. If you're not sinning. So I think, at least this is my only theory, this comes from our culture. Our, or our modern Judeo-Christian culture. And that's why I think it is so innate in so much of us, at least in the West, to balk at the idea that loss doesn't even exist and to truly face a mind scramble at first to try to contemplate that there is no such thing as loss thus there's no such thing for the misery tied to it I'd love to know what eastern cultures think of these same topics I'm completely ignorant to the, the subject perhaps what of you my good listeners would be so kind as to enlighten me and contact me and let me know how I could maybe research that topic I'd be curious to know. Because for lack of any other reason, I must point to just culture as the reason why I was so despondent upon having once those wonderful things but not anymore that's the only reason I can think of but who knows maybe I'll have a 3am eureka moment where I'll think of another (laughs) but as it is now that is my only reason that I can think of and why I was so blindly tied to it, so instinctively, so defaultly tied to that sort of thought and feeling. It's going to certainly take time and effort to reprogram my thoughts and emotions to 
wane off the celebration of despondency and grief and to come to celebrate life as it once was lived and to value all life here today yet to come and especially that which has come to pass So, that was my therapy session. (laughs) Again, with probably the best therapist I've ever had. Wherein she, again, reminded me of these important principles and views that I've come to in part on my own and in part of my reading of Stoicism. My thoughts and my reading have indeed brought me a lot of peace and the twilight of my life. And for that I'm very fortunate. And I'm fortunate that I have got a therapist who is kind enough to remind me of these concepts and these thoughts that I have developed to better tolerate the pain, the loss, (laughs) which doesn't exist. And all the other known attributes that accompany a life of long decay in hospice care. So for that, I thank her. She brought me back to ground. Back to how I do think. I'm certain there will be future times when I need to be grounded yet again because, again, we live in a culture that celebrates anguish. There's no doubt about that. And I'll just have to make those corrections as they become necessary. So with that, I will close out this week's podcast and thank you all my dear listeners for listening in to my endless rambling (laughs) I truly appreciate it be sure to click the follow button and the 
uh, notifications button, which is, again, a separate button than just follow. You have to turn on notifications, otherwise you won't know when there's a new podcast, and we can't have that, no, can we? So, be sure to turn notifications on. If you truly wish to support the podcast, you go to patreon.com slash face and drop a shekel or two, and I would most appreciate that. But, above all, and most of all, I thank you personally for your listenership and supporting me and chiming in when requested and even when not requested (laughs) and just being there and giving value to my voice for that I truly thank you from the bottom of my heart but with that being said I hope to speak to you some more next week and must say ciao for now